I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. All right, everybody. Welcome. We've got a super special guest today, an old friend, super talented human, Shelby Kennedy is with us. And Shelby has done it all. Man, I was reading your bio earlier and there's things I didn't even know about you in there. Well, I don't know if that's good or not. Hey, I appreciate you calling me human. That's a wonderful (laughs) compliment, but no, no, thank you for that. And Marty, thanks for this opportunity. You know what I think of you and uh, always loved being around your music and even had a, a, I guess, of quite a few chances to do some backgrounds for you on some demos back in the day. And I was always a fan, not just of your songs, but I was a fan of your voice. I love to hear you sing. So oh, could you. you sing us one today, Marty? <laughs> no, this is my show. I'm <laughs> you don't call the shots on this show. But Man, no, no, I want to first talk about your songwriting career. So tell me about that. Well, my, you know, when it comes to songwriting for me, it was something that was something I enjoyed doing. It wasn't something to set out and have a career or make money or that wasn't the goal. Um, I just always loved the creative process. And I guess songwriting, you know, it's like uh, putting together puzzles or working, you know, um, just in, in any kind of craft like that. So for me, I grew up around music and it was just one of those things that was actually accessible for me when I went to college in town here at Belmont. It was Belmont College, not Belmont University. That shows my age. But when I was at Belmont, I got to intern at a place called Al Gallico Music. And at Al Gallico Music, he's he's an iconic publisher. Uh, people want to research who all he worked with. But here in Nashville, he had a great writer, Billy Sherrill, that was an iconic producer, writer, uh, label head, all that. And he had, you know, Glenn Sutton, Naro Wilson, and John Anderson wrote for him, and Lacey J. Dalton, and Merle Kilgore was a manager of Hank Williams Jr., but he wrote hits, um, Ring of Fire, Wolverton Mountain, things like that. So I got to be in this camp that was iconic as an intern. And it's kind of funny because in in the beginning, this is an opportunity. And I think everybody, you know, sees the opportunities you get. Um, But when Al Gallico let me be an intern, I asked him, I said, Al, what do you want me to do? I'll just be one of the guys, he said. And I was like, Okay, do you want me to work in the tape room? Eh, just be one of the guys. I was like, you want me to plug, pitch something? Yeah, just be one of the guys. He was like, <laughs> he he had some kind of faith in me learning something, which I'd learned a lot. But Marty, just to kind of get to the point, I was around writers. So what do you do when that happens? You end up staying late and you end up writing songs and stuff. And I got my first cut my senior year in college. And that was on Ray Charles. Oh my goodness. And that was, yeah, it was the B side. And let me emphasize B side, you know, <laughs> to uh, Seven Spanish Angels was the A oh, side. Wow. So, yeah. So I went for this wonderful ride. The The writer I was blessed to be around was a writer named Gary Gentry. He's known for the ride. Um, you know, he had a lot of hits as well. But so you just end up being around, you know, the pond you're around, you end up swimming in. So lucky for me, I was around a really cool pond. And, and so from there on, I never was signed to a publisher. Um, I just wrote for the fun of it. And, you know, if, if you're in the creative world, there's all kinds, all kinds of opportunities. And um, I think I just seized some at the right time, I guess. 
you know. That's awesome. So you you never had a publishing deal. I never had a publishing deal. And I know that's, you know, everybody's like, that's what they want. Um, mm-hmm. But I was always working. So I didn't really have to do that. And look, I understand the blessing was I was working in the music industry. So it wasn't like I had some other job that was construction and I'm trying to figure out how to balance, uh, you know, like a real working job with the music. And I was in it. So really when nighttime came, so did the guitar and the pen and the, you know, the hangouts or the singing backgrounds on sessions, helping people. And it was just, everything was a music environment. So it was easy for me to write. I never really pitched my songs. That was probably, um, I'll be honest with you. I've got a lot of songs. Nobody's ever heard. Um, and just like any writer, I'm thinking they're not too bad. You know, some of them are terrible, but there's some things that are back there that, and we can talk about that later on. Like, what do you do when you have those kinds of things? But yeah, for me, I didn't have to sign a publishing deal. I did some single song things here and there. Um, and then later on, I was fortunate enough to have my own publishing. And that kind of came later on with the Reba hit, I'm a Survivor. So me and Philip White, he wrote for Murrah Music. And, and um, I just was able to keep my own. I almost didn't keep my own. You know, because I had to pay for this demo we were going to do, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and and at the time, that was usually, it's a publisher's job to help cover those demo costs. And um, so I had to reach into my own pocket, like way, way, way down to find enough to hold up my end of that deal. And it worked out okay. But no publishing deal for me. Yeah. yeah. So that, and then that song went on to be on the TV show as well, right? Yeah, they were actually doing a pilot for that show. We had no idea. That story, that song is really cool because, you know, Philip and I wrote this and uh, Martina had it on hold for a little bit. It came off of hold. And my wife, Sherry, has a friend, Cindy Owen, that worked for Reba. And I went home on a Friday and said, well, it came off hold for, you know, Martina. And Cindy was over at the house. And it was like, it's not on hold now. No. She sent it to Reba in New York because Reba was doing any get your gun on Broadway. So she sent it. Reba heard it on Saturday, Sunday. Reba wanted me to take it and leave it in the mailbox at Tony Brown's house because Monday they were going to cut it. So Marty never, but the song was pitched, heard, held, and cut in three days. Yeah. And that's one of those things you can't plan, but we didn't know about the television show. So once that happened, then it was like, Hey, they, it bumped a song that obviously they were supposed to cut. Um, So it bumped a song. And then we found out there was going to be the television show. And then we found out they also wanted it to be the title cut for her greatest hits um, volume three package. So, so that's that. But uh, that sucks. None of that. None, of it, none of it sucks. And I'm telling <laughs> you, you know, you know, Marty, you can't plan that stuff. That stuff, no. they're, they're blessings. All you do is utilize the gifts, talents you have as a writer, as an artist, as a producer, as a whatever it is that you do. If you do the right things, the right thing will happen. We don't know what the right thing that is going to happen, but we can just trust that if we do the right things, it'll end up exactly like it's supposed to go. And I, re- I, I was a recipient of a great blessing. 
I'm not smart enough to figure out how things are going to go. So I just had to keep trying to do good things. And Marty, when you look over your shoulder, isn't it the truth that everything, the best things that happened in your life, when you look over your shoulder, the best things that happened in your life, none of those were planned by you. Absolutely. Isn't that wild? You have to live old enough to, to see that, but yeah, what, a, what an incredible vision. So um, it gives you all the confidence in the world to take your next step because you can see all the ones you took. Yeah. So, and you're evidence of that. You're great evidence of that. Thank you. Yeah. So where did you involve into getting in, in, into other aspects of the music business? At what point did that happen? Well, it, it happened early on because, again, back to this Gallico office, it was a publishing company. So I'm not really there to write. Remember, I'm there to be one of the guys. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And um, but it ended up being, you know, plugging. That's what it ended up being and, and working with writers and then working with artists. And then it was like I was always drawn to the artists that were writers um, because, again, Marty, you you probably know the listeners may not. But I grew up as a second generation to the industry. My father, Jerry Kennedy, had ran Mercury Records. He was a team musician um, and he produced all the Roger Miller hits, you know, and Statler Brothers, all that, and Tom T. Hall. And it's like, well, those, he also produced Reba and Jerry Lee Lewis and stuff. But at a time, he was actually, it's funny, when you look back, you realize he was producing these great writers that were artists. And, you know, it's just like, now you realize, okay, he was into the, the artists that wrote. Well, that, so was I. And um, just kind of went that way. So I was kind of used to that. And so my path went from working at a publishing company, Al Gallico Music, to the Music Mill, that was another publishing company. That was Harold Shedd's company. And then from there, I went to ASCAP. Um, and then I did a decade at ASCAP on the executive staff there in writer-publisher relations. Um, I left there to go be director of A&R Lyric Street Records the first four years of that, which was a wonderful four years where I brought in Shadaisy. They were double platinum and we signed Rascal Flats. And that, that label is launched and has a lot of history that's successful. And then from there, I did some other things. And I actually ended up at BMI as an executive there, working writer-publisher relations too. So I'm, I'm the only person that worked in writer-publisher relations at ASCAP and BMI. And the blood is good in both camps. And I love both of them. Um, so I did some of those things, went to TuneCore later on. That's that's in the evolution of the industry and did the digital distribution, like the, all the entertainment relations for TuneCore. Uh, people didn't even know what it was here in Nashville. Um, now it's in everybody's toolbox, probably. And then from there, I did something that we can talk about later at Amazing Radio and stuff. But so my path, it was always right brain, left brain. And, and I think... I'm going to make you feel good. I'll make every writer that's listening to you feel good. I think that the business right now, the music industry, if you just take the term music business, we all know the music word, music. Oh, okay, we got to write the song. How are we going to record it? What's the instrumentation, the arrangement, the mix? How are we going to do all this? That's all creative. And then there's the business part of music business. That business word Okay, how do we exploit this music? How do we monetize this music? Well, you know, there's got to be a strategy for that. But here's what makes us all feel good as writers. We're creatives. Right now, music business, the 
the the business part it has to be just as if not more creative than the music part and the only people that are really going to be able to do that moving forward more effectively are going to be the creatives because the music industry and this is probably what we can all take to the bank the music industry always has and always will flow to its voids we're going where we are we're going where we haven't been before or if it seems like before, I mean, it may be cyclical, but we're really going somewhere we're not. That song you need to write is the song that isn't there. The record you do is the record that isn't there. The artist that you find needs to be that artist that, that wasn't there. And so everything's about what's missing. And my money is on the creative to take us to those horizons because we do see things that are missing. That's We're wired that way. So for me in business, it was those same skills as a writer, but taking it into business, trying to see what's missing and, and do things creatively because really our business, that's how it was built way back. It was built by creatives. You know? And I think we're back there. It's just a different, it's just a totally different world, but it's, it's a creative business world. I think a lot of people don't understand that people like your dad were great musicians, were great song people. They, they were creative people as well as just good business people running those labels and cutting those records and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I wrote with a young track guy recently and he said, well, tell me, tell me some stuff you've written. And I, I told him I wrote must be doing something right for Billy Currington. He said, oh, I don't know much of the old country artist, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, and I think that is representative though. Of, there's a lot of uh, young artists and writers coming in that in the don't know that, that history and, and that kind of thing. And I think that's just super valuable to know and to educate yourself about. Yeah. I think in the writer's toolbox, they should know those things. It's kind of like if you write a song and it has a Motown vibe to it, it's good if you know the Motown vibe, right? Because whether right. people are really thinking about it or not, they're programmed to just feel great when they hear that. So it's in your toolbox. You can say, I don't know if they're going to see the Motown thing, but they're certainly going to feel it, you know, and you can, you can pull those things out. So I'm, I'm with you. It would be good if, if they could, you know, uh, have a little research, a little history helps. And, and, and I'll say something too, Marty, I hope this is okay. When I think about today's writers, um, I was explaining this to a publisher yesterday and I said, you know what? we go through cycles at radio. Um, sometimes radio, it seems like they're playing three, three and a half minute jingles. You know, it's like not very deep, pleasant to listen to, no doubt, you know, radio will do that. But I said, you know what? It's like writers, sometimes they learn to dog paddle when they're thrown in the pool. If we throw them in the Olympic pool, because, hey, look, this is serious business, right? If you're getting recordings and they're on radio, that's serious. I'd say you're in the Olympic pool, but don't think because you dog paddle in an Olympic pool that makes you an Olympic swimmer, right? And I told the publisher, I said, you know, I was blessed and Marty, I'm talking to you and you are one of them. Writers learned how to swim deep. You can write a deep song. But you know what's great about a writer that swims deep? They can dog paddle. That's nothing, right? 
but the one that only learns to dog paddle at some point, you might need to go deep. And if you never learn to swim, uh-oh, right? Yeah. And we're in cycles. And I would just challenge all of the riders to learn to swim deep because you got it covered if you can. You can go to any level you need to go. Like, I love Bob McDill's writings. You know, the guy was brilliant, but he could dog paddle too. You know, and Don Schlitz, brilliant. He could dog paddle. You know, it's like those simple songs were huge hits, but you can go deep too with them. So I'm just throwing that out there for writers just to consider swimming deep, you know, learn to swim deep. Yeah. If you, if you were starting a publishing company today and you, you got your, you signed some writers and you're setting them down for your first writer meeting, Mm -hmm. what kinds of pieces of of advice would you give them? Besides that, that, I mean, that was brilliant. Well, I, I think I would tell them they've got to write from the listener's perspective. Um, I think that songwriters, a problem that most songwriters have is they've tried to prove they're a songwriter when they write a song. And I think that's part of the first thing you got to, you got to kick that out back to when I was telling you, we're like puzzle masters putting together puzzles. I can put together this huge puzzle, show it to you, Marty and say, Marty, look at this. And, and you can say, wow, that is a huge puzzle that makes a picture of such and such. Or I can put together this big puzzle, show it to you, and you look at it and say, wow, that's a big picture of such and such. I've got to hide the puzzle pieces because the audience wants what is perceived reality or reality. They don't need to know that we're making crap up, but we are. But we've got to hide the puzzle pieces. And if we show them one puzzle piece, just one, game over. I think they now know I'm pulling their leg. This isn't real. They can't really, it's like, this is contrived. So in saying that, when people try to prove they're a songwriter, they start trying to prove they're a puzzle master, but they really need to just prove they show a picture. Does that make sense? That's, that's what I would tell writers is don't, let anybody know you're a puzzle master. Just give people pictures. Give people pictures. That's it. Um, so that's that's probably the biggest advice, I think. is, And so you tell it from the listener's perspective. I'd give an assignment to them. You don't know what the assignment would be? Yeah. I would say if you're a guy, write a female song. And if you're a female, write a guy song. Because what happens when you do that, you become the, the actual editor. You're like, would... I'm a guy, I write a female song. And I would say, would, would she really say that? I mean, is that real? Would, would I believe that if she said that? And if I think so, it's good to go. But when I write something from my perspective, a guy telling what I it may sound like spaghetti to somebody else and I may really get messed up. But if you can write from the other for the other gender, I think you are getting closer to understanding how to write from the listener's perspective. I hope that makes sense. So it'd be those two things, write from the listener's perspective and hide the puzzle pieces. We, one time I was writing with Walt Aldridge and a hall of fame writer and a, and a young artist. And he threw out this line that was amazing. It worked on like three different levels and, you know, my jaw <laughs> just dropped and she kind of wrinkled her nose up and said, Oh, I wouldn't say that. And he put his guitar down. He said, why not? She said, 
that's just not my story. And he said, no, your story's a little bit of acne and probably maybe a little broken heart and nobody cares. And, oh, wow. and, and, and he said, you know, you got to write something that gets a 35 year old woman up off the couch to go, you know, figure out how to get that song and, and that kind of thing. And he's went on to say, you know, if, if you, you can only say things you've actually experienced, how long are you going to be an actress? And she said, not long. And he said, right. You know, it's it's kind of your, to your point, we, we forget sometimes I'm not writing these songs for me. You know, at times I do, you know, there's times I write something very personal and it's just for me and I don't plan on pitching it. But if we're trying to write commercially, we're writing songs for other people, you know, songs for other people to sing songs for other people to hear and be moved by and that kind of thing. And it's really important to keep in mind that it's not all about me. No, that's a, that's the excellent advice. And you're right. I mean, I think you got to project yourself into somebody else's shoes and then be as honest as you can be. Yeah. You know, as honest as you can. But but no, you're right. Um, yeah, how many from the label side when you get to an artist that, yeah, that's not me, you have to get the definition of exactly what Walt was asking. Like, you know, why why? Um, yeah, that's a that's a that's an artist issue. May not be a writer issue, but it's an artist issue. Exactly. That's, that's, that's wonderful to hear Walt say that. Well, let's yeah. talk a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah, the, the thing I'm doing now, we started in this digital world. You know, there's so many platforms, DSPs out there for artists and, and, and labels. And anyways, there's this company, this platform. It's Amazing Radio. It was established in the UK back in 2009. They've done really well. All J, Dua Lipa, uh, they've, they've had a lot of great successful artists get discovered on this platform. So they wanted to build out the U.S. version of this, the U.S. station. So I'm heading up that as of this last year, uh, came in to do it. So Amazing Radio, if people want to check it out, amazing.radio. That's all you got to type in and go check it out. It's, it's discovering new artists. It's really all about discovery. But the one thing I wanted to tell you about, Marty, is we've got something we started called Amazing Songs. And here's here's why um, it needs to exist. So for me, as an executive or for me as a writer, I realize there are writers all over the world, all around the country. What are the odds that they live in a city that's a music center, that has a PRO in it, that has publishers in it, that has labels in it? And it's like, they you have to pick up and move to a music center um, in the past. Well, people can't just do that anymore. And even if they could, I don't know that they could get any of those meetings, you know. So one thing we want to do is just basically create this platform and think about it almost like a uh, Dropbox or SoundCloud for a writer that can store their work tapes, demos, whatever. But what we do is we create access granted to the creative executives, to go into the platform in the back end and see songs that people want to make available for discovery. So me as a writer, I have so many songs in my digital locker. Nobody sees my locker, but these certain songs I click on so that when the producer or the A&R or, or even a publisher looking for a writer is in the back end looking, they can discover these works and discover me as a writer or 
discover songs by topic or genre, you know, all those things. So it's, it's really a professional tool. Everything retains its first use right because it's not being released. It's private, totally private. So the executives can look and the writers and publishers with those uncut songs that's going to haunt them till the day they die while they're not cut, they should put them in there because people can discover them in their own leisure, you know, and they're, and they're comfortable to do it. So it's, it's really exciting. I've shared it with some people, the PROs, you know, it's like, it's going to be a tool for somebody that lives in anywhere in the country. They, they can still be discovered without trying to get some kind of referral from somebody they can't even reach. So I don't know if that made sense, but people can check that out. It's amazing hyphen songs.com. Oh yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. I'd love to hear that. Well, thank you for sharing your story and for all the great wisdom and advice. Well, Marty, I'm going to thank you for what you're doing for everybody, because you know what? Nobody does this alone. Nobody can be successful on their own. And you've got evidence of what you're doing. I think it's great. People have you for a resource, uh, you know, in Songtown. It's great. So thank you for the discussion today. And it is great to talk to you again. I loved it. Likewise, my friend. All right. I hope you learned something. Shelby's done so many things in the music business and been successful in so many different areas. It's great to talk to somebody like that and just get to pick their brain and learn from them. And if you want to check out Amazing Songs, uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, It's a cool platform. He walked me through it. You can store unlimited songs as a songwriter for $36 a year, and you can pitch them from there, but you can also make them available in case music executives want to listen through your songs and uh, hopefully find a a use for them, a home for them. So check that out in the show notes. Also, uh, we've got uh, some links to some books Clay and I have written. We've got one on co-writing, one on lyric, and one on melody, and a link to Songtown. We'd love it if you'd check us out, and if you enjoy the podcast, we'd love a a five-star rating. Uh, That helps us get noticed and moved up list as well. But we appreciate you spending your time with us we got a lot of fun things coming up for you in 2022, and we hope to see you soon.